Slam with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Today's episode takes us to the US, where a visual intelligence company called Perceptin seeks to build machines that see, interpret and learn. And at the end of this episode, we'll tell you a little more about our Patreon campaign, so stay tuned. But first, our interview Abate spoke to Chua, co-founder and CEO of Perceptin. While Perceptin is a relatively young company, they were only just founded in 2016, it already has offices in Santa Clara, California and Shenzhen, China, with around 30 employees, and it has secured millions of dollars in funding. The company is building embedded platforms for robots to allow simultaneous localization and mapping, SLAM algorithms, in real time. Their product lines incorporate sensor fusion with hardware synchronization across the various sensors to improve the accuracy of the mapping algorithms. In our interview, Joa discusses the uses and applications of SLAM with Perceptin's three product lines targeting IoT, consumer and autonomous vehicle-grade robots. Hello, and welcome to the RoboHub podcast. Can you please introduce yourself? Thanks, Abache. Um, my name is Zhe, so I'm co-founder and CEO of Perceptin. A quick introduction of myself. So I was in Tsinghua University, Beijing, uh, from 2000 to 2001 to 2005. And in 2005, I came to U.S. for my PhD study on robotics at Stony Brook State University of New York. Uh, after graduation, I worked for Microsoft from 2005 to 2009, uh, to, from 2009 to 2014, uh, mostly on Microsoft Research Robotics team. So we are doing robotics software and uh, hardware at Microsoft. Uh, in early 2014, so I quit Microsoft and worked for Magic Leap for almost two years working on simultaneous localization and mapping for um, AR augmented reality system. Uh, early 2014, so me and my friend and partner, uh, Shaoshan Liu, so we two co-founded uh, Perceptin. Um, yeah, so that's uh, basically my, my information. Can you tell me a little bit more about your company, Perceptin? Yeah, so Perceptin is two part, uh, perception and insight intelligence. Um, we, our general vision is, we call it a robotization. So we try to make business to business robotic solution for all type of robot. Uh, we have three product line, Zuluko, Ironsize, and Dragonfly. Uh, Zuluko is a IoT grid sensing and computation module for low end uh, robots, really low end robots. We have Iron size for high-end uh, consumer robot and all type of service robot, mostly indoor. We have Dragonfly for high-end indoor and outdoor uh, robots and robot car or uh, low-speed um, self-driving 
self-driving vehicles in controlled environment. So these are three product lines we have. Can you describe how these product lines look and feel? Is it is it an actual product or is it just the hardware um, to be put into a larger system? Yeah. So uh, every uh, every product line we have here is a is a combination of algorithm, software, and, and hardware, and we we take our system and integrate with our customer, the robot maker's system. So think about Zuduko, Ironsize, and Dragonfly as the eyes and brain of the robot. Uh, that's how we integrate with our robot maker partners. So these are different platforms that third-party customers of yours can go ahead and then build multiple different robots in, in very different environments, from IoT grade to middle grade to the the high-end, self-driving, autonomous. Yes, end. exactly. So, uh, for example, on cleaning robot, we can they can use Zuluku or Iron Size uh, as the a cleaning robot's uh, eyes and brain to help them perceive the environment and make smarter decisions. Can you describe different applications um, for each of these different grades that these robots are actually being used in? Yes. Uh, for Zuluko, the, uh, the typical application is the low-end cleaning robot. So the whole solution, probably less than 40 US dollar, uh, they can be integrated in a cleaning robot, so the robot can see the environment, know where it is, and what's the environment around it. It can make smart moves to clean your uh, living room in a systematic and smart way instead of random walking. Can you describe um, the, the smart way in which it decides how to move around the house? Yeah, so uh, for a cleaning robot, you want the robot to be smart enough to know where it is, uh, where it has cleaned, and which part it hasn't. Um, you want it to resume cleaning from a specific location from last time. Um, if you don't have such a capability, then the robot will look a little weird uh, because it's all it's doing is kind of a random walking, random walking around. So that's a very typical usage of our uh, system. So that that's would be the IoT grade, um, low cost. Yes, yes. And for iron size, so it will be a little more, you know, mid end to high end because it can be used on different type of uh, service robot. A very interesting example is a forklift customer we have. Uh, the forklift, uh, the forklift robot. Um, it can be very dangerous in the factory. So it really needs to perceive the environment, uh, make very smart and safe moves for the robot itself. And it should see the obstacle and detect human when it's close to it. So our iron size with stereo sensor, uh, IMU, and hardware synchronization, so it can and our algorithms, so it can provide a safe and smart system for the forklift. So that's a typical application. Uh, what is a stereo 
um, camera sensor and what is an IMU? So a stereo sensor is basically think about as a like human eye. You have left eye and right eye. So by the two uh, two cameras has the disparity, so you can calculate the distance of uh, specific objects or the environment. Um, the IMU is inertial, measure, inertial measurement unit. It means three-axis gyroscope, which measures your uh, angular velocity, and another three-axis accelerometer measures your acceleration, your linear acceleration. So it gives you your orientation and your angular move movement. Uh, by combining these together, we call it a visual inertial slam system. So you fuse the visual information and the inertial information uh, together to help each other at a very early stage uh, through a uh, extended Kalman filter. So that's how it works, mathematically speaking. So this is used for the robot to understand its position and its pose in the world that it's in. Exactly, exactly. And on top of that, uh, you can add uh, more layers of information, like what is obstacle, what is human, what is the environment look like, which usually we call it semantic information. But the backbone is a perception system which gives the robot itself its own location and the map of uh, where it is. And can you describe the, the last high-end application of the uh, product line that you produce? Mm -hmm. So Dragonfly is a high-end product line of ours. Uh, it has four fisheye cameras, which gives you 360 view of your environment. It has GPS and IMU integrated, so it is a sensor fusion system with computing the NVIDIA JSON system instead. It can use it on a storage robot, delivery robot, and uh, more interestingly, the low-speed autonomous vehicles in controlled environment. So this is another uh, application we are targeting currently. These different applications, are these all done indoors? Are these all in manufacturing environments and office environments? Or are these also being employed outdoors uh, on streets or in public environments? Uh, Dragonfly is more on, um, can be used on external, the outside environments as well. Uh, Ironsize and Zuluku mostly uh, indoor. Could you go a little bit into the underlying technologies and research areas behind these different product lines? Yes. So, uh, for example, the position uh, position tracking and mapping uh, in research is called simultaneous localization and mapping. Uh, in short, a SLAM system. So SLAM is not invented recently. So actually it has been there for, I think, more than 20 years. Um, through the years, uh, SLAM gets improved in a very fast way and becoming more practical. So it's really uh, ready to use in many, in many areas, uh, mostly from two aspects. One is the algorithm itself. It's really getting better. And the second is the sensing, sen the sensory system uh, is getting more uh, diversified and uh, improved uh, in many aspects. 
So today, when we do SLAM system, we are fusing all types of information all together to make it really work. Uh, for example, the visual inertial SLAM we are providing, we early fuse visual information and inertial measurement um, in a very early stage. Uh, in outdoor or with a robot, uh, we are fusing wheel odometry and GPS signals uh, together with the visual and inertial information. So that's uh, still very hot in a research area, not the theory itself, but all uh, trying out with all different sensors for different uh, application scenario. So there's no single SLAM system which will work in many in all type of uh, systems, but instead every scenario or app every application needs its own perception system. So that's where uh, we are uh, in both research and industry. So SLAM is used by different robots to gather all the data from multiple sensors and understand what the position and placement of the robot is in the world that's around it? Yes. So uh, at the end, it is a kind of a very fundamental two question. Where am I and where what I am seeing? So, uh, but different system and different environment uh, will have different solutions. Does the robot need to have a predefined map of its surroundings or to be working in a controlled environment to, to employ SLAM? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, usually, uh, when we talk about SLAM, what we are trying to make it work is uh, you, the robot is in an unknown environment. You know nothing about, you have no prior information about the environment. So this way we need the mapping and the localization happening at the same time. But in the real world, uh, some application or some robots, uh, the application allows it to map the, map the world or the environment in advance. And then all it do is tracking against the known map. Uh, but it also has a need of update the map because the world, you know, re in real world, uh, the scene can be changed uh, very quickly. So that's kind of the uh, the status of the mapping side. How well does it perform in different environments like homes versus warehouses and outdoors and potentially disaster zones? Um, it is very different. So that's why uh, we trying our solution, trying to uh, make it uh, scale and make it support different application. But at the same time, we have three product lines, the Luco, Iron Science, and the Dragonfly. I think, uh, to be honest, it's really hard for one system to support all uh, scenarios. And what differences do you employ to make them uh, more adapted to one environment versus another? Uh, I think uh, at the end, it is really down to uh, our solution is really scalable. So we when we design it, we think hard uh, what is the common pieces and what are the uh, customized pieces. So uh, with that in mind, when we design the core algorithm, uh, we design it to make it really scalable. But on the different customer, different types of scenario, we try to cat categorize, um, categorize them and narrow to several types as 
clear as possible. But still, in early stage, we have a lot of customized work to do. Uh, but with our solution being more and more mature, uh, we have less and less customized um, work to do. Uh, today, so far, uh, Perceptin has been operating for almost two years. Uh, we've been working with 10 to 15 robot type of robot, uh, and we are making great progress. <laughs> How important is something like sensor fusion and the different information from different types of sensors to improving the output of SLAM, in your robots especially? Uh, it's very important. For example, if the robot uh, wheel dometry is very is relative high quality, we definitely uh, utilize that information. For outdoor um, GPS is definitely uh, available uh, in most of the places, so we definitely use them as well. Uh, but at the same time, a perception system for robot should be designed as it's fault tolerant enough. So uh, even when uh, some sensor or some dimension of information is not available, the system still needs to be uh, continue functioning well. So these are you know, pros and cons for uh, sensor fusion. What are all the different sensors that you're using? And can you walk a little bit, walk us through a bit what sensor fusion is? Yeah, so sensor fusion usually means uh, you have all, uh, several types of uh, different sensor gives you uh, different aspects of information. For example, we just talk about uh, uh, IMU uh, gives you accelerometer, acceler linear acceleration and angular velocity. We have uh, image sensor, which gives you the visual information. Uh, we say it's images, right? We have a GPS gives you a global uh, positioning system. And we have a view odometry, and behind it is essentially an encoder, uh, which records how many uh, rounds per second it rotates, uh, or it can see the, the, it can sense the wheel uh, rotation. Uh, yeah, so all these information are different. And by sensor fusion, we really mean to fuse them and use them in a smart way. Uh, but an important aspect is how to do the hardware uh, synchronization. The time has to be correct enough or your algorithm has to be stable enough to deal with uh, time uncertainty and the sensor noise. How do you synchronize the, the different sensors uh, on a time-wise? Do you, do you just have timestamps um, for each of the sensors and have them all lined up, or do you actually start the sensors all at the same time? Uh, so there's several types of uh, time synchronization mechanism. Uh, we usually prefer hardware synchronization, which means it's triggered by some uh, hardware mechanism. For example, on our iron sites, we synchronized uh, through the ISP. So the ISP uh, synchronized uh, image processing un uh, processor, so synchronized left and right images. And on the SOC board, we synchronize the stereo and the IMU uh, information. So these are one example. Uh, the difficulty and the tricky thing is uh, if your hardware synchron your synchronization is off, usually it means it is a unknown off 
or uh, data transfer delay. So there's all type of, you know, uh, we, we call it a delay or off in all places. So how to model it and how to overcome it through hardware, uh, those two are both tricky. Uh, we spend a lot of efforts on that. On Dragonfly, uh, another example, we trigger uh, the hardware sync through a FPGA, and FPGA um, is connected to the uh, NVIDIA JSON. So it's a different, uh, a more advanced uh, mechanism. What is an FPGA? So FPGA is field programmable uh, gate array. So uh, the configuration usually specified using uh, some kind of hardware description uh, language. So uh, by using that, we are kind of triggering the sensor through the FPGA, which gives you a very accurate hardware uh, synchronization. Uh, it is a type of um, hardware unit. So usually when we talk about FPGA, we compare it with CPU, GPU, uh, ISP, or uh, ASIC, application-specific integrated circuit. So the, that's type of thing uh, we are talking about. So it's more a hardware system thing. Now how do you synchronize sensors that are all operating at different frequencies? Like, for example, what, what are the frequencies that the camera um, operates at versus the IMU versus the GPS? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's a great question. So different sensors will have different frequency. That's uh, for sure. So by connecting them in one unit, and that unit has its own uh, loop and clock to uh, call it trigger or sample the sensor. Um, let's say your IMU has 200 hertz, uh, 200 frames per second. If you sample, try to sample it at 200 frames per second, you probably will lose some frames. So this way, in some hardware unit, you need to um, sample it in a faster rate. Uh, but the important thing is you have to do it on one hardware. Uh, this way, your your data, at the end, your data transferred to other unit can be delayed, but the types, different type of sensor data is synchronized. So synchronization and um, data transfer delay are two separate things. So we uh, we pay a, a lot of attention on these uh, uh, very you know, tiny but important things to make it really work. And what is the accuracy difference and the effect that this has on your SLAM algorithms of using a system with and without all this hardware synchronization that you're talking about? Yeah, so in our SLAM system, um, for example, on our uh, hardware synchronization, uh, let's start with the hardware uh, synchronization. Uh, on iron size, we can make it accurate down to within two to three milliseconds. So that's two or three thousand, uh, two or three of thousands of one seconds, uh, which our SLAM system can handle it. On the cell phone or other uh, devices which are not designed for computation, for this kind of computation, uh, we are seeing 100 milliseconds or even more time uh, time sync offset. And the worst part is uh, it's not determined. It can be 100 milliseconds at this uh, currently, 
and five seconds later, it can be 150 milliseconds if you don't do uh, careful uh, config and hardware synchronization. That's kind of disaster uh, for our algorithm. And how does that affect the robot when they're trying to localize themselves? Do they need to be uh, have that high of a refresh rate for their SLAM algorithms? Yeah, so th this brings up a very important uh, aspect. Uh, so let's start with a concrete example. When the robot uh, is fast rotation, um, your image sensor data will lag behind. Um, the IMU uh, can do it, but if those two information and the wheel encoder as well, if these information are misaligned, um, you can see the estimate of your movement uh, here means the rotation is delayed. So this is very bad. With a delayed, uh, with a delayed pose, a delayed uh, robot position, uh, and the uh, visual information, your map can be polluted, and your position tracking can be off. So that's a very concrete example of how uh, this is, um, you know, th this is important. And does that present a security risk for these robots in operating in environments uh, with people? Uh, if the robot is big and heavy, it is definitely a safety concern. Uh, if it is a small robot, uh, safety is not uh, that serious, uh, which means if it bump to a wall or uh, your pet, uh, because it's relatively small, like a vacuum cleaning robot. Uh, but still, it affects its uh, performance. Okay. In a paper you released to the 2018 uh, ICRA, you talked about loosely coupled and tightly coupled sensor fusion. Can you explain what these are, what their differences are, and do you employ both of these? Yes, for robot system, we employed uh, both loosely coupled and tightly coupled system. The tightly coupled system uh, means our visual and inertial measurements are fused in a very early stage, uh, right through, right out of the sensor, the raw sensor and we fuse it with a complicated extended common filter. The loosely coupled approach, so on top of this flexible, uh, on top of this uh, tightly coupled visual inertial system, when we deal with uh, wheelometry, GPS, and other type of sensor, we make it loosely coupled because it's very flexible to integrate with different types of robot or application. Uh, otherwise, it requires a lot of work from our customers. You can't go to a customer and tell, tell them you need your hardware need to hardware synchronize with our system. That's impossible when we're talking about a business-to-business -business solution. Uh, so this way, we make our solution very flexible and a lot of time offset we designed and solved on our side with the uncertainty of timing uh, considered. So that's the loosely coupled part. So the loosely coupled one isn't going to be hardware synchronized. It's just going to be maybe software synchronized. Software synchronized or we have, uh, it's not synchronized in our mind when designing algorithm. So it's not synchronized at all. It's not synchronized at all, yeah. But we have uh, some, you know, customers are if really 
want to tightly integrate with our system. Uh, we are designing some hardware synchronization um, you know, system with some of our customers. So we are really a flexible, flexible system and um, we feel much, we feel we are in a better position after uh, operating a year and a half. So we have a lot of experience of dealing with different type of uh, system. And what do your customers gain from using the products, off-the-shelf products that you're providing versus going off by themselves and buying a NVIDIA Jetson kit and connecting sensors to it directly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Or, you know, This is related to marketing or our business model. Um, we don't, we actually, we talk with many customers. We feel the biggest pain is not a sensor itself or a algorithm itself. The, the biggest pain is the integration altogether. So imagine a robot maker, for example, if you, a company make refrigerator, right? So it has hardware, uh, you know, it can make stuff, it can buy cameras, but they need to pick correct sensor, correct lens, uh, proper SOC, proper CPU, and all integrate all this together. So they need to deal with at least five to 10 companies and assemble them and integrate them in software and algorithm themselves. By using our system, uh, we guarantee the quality, we guarantee the calibration, we guarantee the performance. They only need to deal with one company and we provide the whole thing. So this way, um, it saves human resources and it saves their efforts as well. And where do you see your company moving as you gain experience working in multiple different environments like offices um, and outdoors and homes and becoming experts in sensor fusion and SLAM um, as you guys continue to gain this expertise? Mm-hmm. So we, we see we are moving into uh, our system. Uh, we feel it's scalable to support many scenarios. So we would like to continue this vision and approach by um, doing business to business robot solution. Uh, as I mentioned, the low speed uh, autonomous vehicle in controlled environment is another big market. So I think we have uh, at least two or three very huge market we can penetrate and gain market share. So um, yeah, so that's our vision. Do you see yourselves moving out of the controlled environment um, to maybe something like self-driving uh, pa- passenger carrying cars? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we, we are building such system with our partners in controlled environment, right? Relative low speed as we discussed. Uh, to go fully autonomous, we are talking about L4, L5 self-driving space. Uh, that's really. And what is L4 and L5? Uh, yes. So in uh, in 2013, the U.S. Department of Transportation, the uh, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Admin, so they define five different level of uh, autonomous driving. Uh, so uh, level zero, like basic. Level one, uh, some assistant to the driver. Um, level two is, you know, cruise control, lane centering, these type of stuff, but the driver still always ready to take control. Uh, level three is a little, uh, interesting. So the, um, the driver, uh, 
it's kind of shift uh, safety critical functions to the vehicle, but the driver is still present and uh, will intervene uh, anytime necessary. Uh, level four is more fully autonomous. Basically, uh, most of the task it can be done in by the autonomous vehicle, uh, but it doesn't cover every driving scenario. Level five is the fully autonomous. Basically, the driver doesn't need to do uh, anything. But usually, we think level five is at least five to ten years away. So, uh, if we are using this standard, we try to do somewhere between level two and level three for a uh, controlled environment, low speed. Uh, level four, because of the safety concern, is really a huge concern. Uh, our vision system without uh, LiDAR, uh, we, are, we are very carefully evaluating and monitoring. So at this point, uh, we, we are not in a position to comfortably saying uh, we can do it. And how do you feel about incorporating LiDAR into your um, different hardware synchronized products? Uh, actually, our system, uh, there's a key difference for our system because our system is very flexible. So in general, uh, we are not denying or we are not refusing LiDAR at all. But instead, LiDAR will be a great add-on to our system. Uh, for example, there's... Uh, uh, we, when we were sponsoring, you know, Ikra and Iros, uh, there's a uh, quite famous LiDAR company approaching uh, us want to integrate together. And there's other, uh, you know, different type of LiDAR uh, in talk with us. Um, because our system has the flexibility, flexibility and the capability to do that, uh, we, are, we are looking at it. But when we down to, you know, customer uh, application, uh, cost is really a uh, major cons- concern, and high quality lidar uh, in today's market is still not cheap enough. Do you feel that lidar is necessary to achieving some of the higher levels of autonomy for self-driving vehicles versus camera-based solutions? I think uh, the really high-speed L four L five, the sensor redundancy is a must to have. Uh, and the technology is not mature enough and not there yet. So at that space uh, today, I'm saying like at that space today, um, it's not comfortable or it's not safe to say we don't need LiDAR. So that that's my take. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming through. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, then. Have a great day. And that's the end of the interview. But before you go, we wanted to remind you all that our Patreon campaign, which we launched back in December at the request of several of our listeners, is now live. Patreon is a service that allows regular small donations for creative content such as our podcast. And we really hope our Patreon donations will help us to attend more conferences and to visit more research labs around the world in 2018, so we can bring you even closer to the action. You can choose to donate from as little as $1 a month, with $10 a month bagging you a cool RoboHub sticker. The RoboHub podcast will, of course, always be free, and we wouldn't want anyone to feel like they have to support us. But if you can spare a few dollars a month without having to skip your morning coffee or check your bank balance, we'd really appreciate your support. And we thank those who've already signed up to support us so far. You can find more information on robohub.org forward slash podcast, where you will also be able to find 
all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Slam with RoboHub, the podcast for news and views on robotics.